guys welcome back to another episode of the just checking in podcast this podcast is brought to you by vent a place where everyone but especially men and boys can open up about their mental health issues break down stigmas and start conversations i'm your host freddie cocker each pod i check in with a very special guest we have an at and chat about all things mental health as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about if it helps that person with their mental health we discuss it I've checked in with one Huddersfield Town fan illustrator in Peter O'Toole. In this week's episode, I'm checking in with another one in the form of Tom Bradshaw. Tom is an illustrator and designer currently based in Folkestone in Kent. Tom moved there after finishing his undergrad degree at Loughborough University. In this episode, we discuss his journey of illustration from hobby to career, how he originally was planning to be a PE teacher, a dark moment of exclusion he experienced at a football camp, and the grief he experienced in losing three of his grandparents in quick succession as a young adult. We also discuss his move to Folkestone and how a Friday night football club set up by a work colleague saved his mental health and stopped him from moving back to Huddersfield, as well as the positive impact his partner and his pet dog have had on his mental health. So this is how my check-in with Tom Bradshaw went. Tom Bradshaw, welcome to the Just Checking In pod, mate. Thank you so much for coming on. We are doing this pod the day after Town have beaten Hull 1-0, so we are both Town fans. I feel pretty relieved. The game wasn't amazing, but we got the three points. How are you getting on, mate? How are you feeling? Hi, Freddie. Yeah, I mean, great to be here, mate. And I just know that we're both quite happy this morning, aren't we? What an important three points it was last night. 100%, yeah. I'm pretty relieved. I don't know what's going to happen with the playoffs. I've already started blocking out potential weekends the games might fall on, so (laughs) in in case and not making myself double booked. So yeah, we'll see what happens. I really enjoy chatting with artists from across the spectrum, mate. And I've already chatted with Pete O'Toole, so it's only right that I get you on as one of the other main Huddersfield illustrators in the community. So without further ado, you ready to start the show, mate? Yeah, let's do this. Let's start the pod by talking about your journey into illustration, mate. So tell the listeners how you got into drawing, illustrating, and when you discovered this talent and developed it. Yeah, so I guess it started from a real young age, really. So kind of just drawing my own comic books. I used to make like football programs for myself, which was quite niche, I guess. <laughs> Made up football teams, things like that. Pre-Mundial. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> doing like my own art shows for the family and stuff and that kind of was like a big influence was from my family so my mum my and my granddad Barry who were very creative people I think that's where I kind of get that talent from and I kind of wish like I'd have embraced my creativeness from a younger age I think because it was a passion of mine and I kind of had the skill there and when I look back maybe could have done it a bit earlier got into it a bit earlier because my attentions were turned a bit when I was in school to more teaching and I quite wanted to be a teacher at one point which um, was an interesting sidestep I think from being very arty but I did a lot of coaching badges and stuff so I kind of like stepped away from the art for a bit I still did it in my spare time I did a lot of coaching badges and I was kind of mentored by Paul Quinn who was my PE teacher he's been on the podcast a few times Freddie and he takes that chance podcast and he's now a coach at Sheffield United actually which is quite impressive When I left high school, that's where I kind of rekindled my love for art and I uh, did the fine art course up at New College in Huddersfield and that just kind of reignited 
maybe also made me realize that that is what I'm good at and that's what I should focus on. It just gave me that time to explore my illustration because at this point in time, I don't think I actually was an illustrator yet. I was painting pictures of fruit, do you know mm. what I mean? And then those two years and then the following year going into a foundation year really gave me that chance to explore and open up my options as an illustrator. Mm. Speaking of fruit, you did that foundation year at Bradford College and you said it was here that you realised there was much more to art than drawing fruit in a bowl. So what skill did you pick up here that expanded your creative horizon? And then tell me about the three-year undergrad degree you did at Loughborough. Bradford College, that was um, just a really good step for me because I'd never heard of a foundation year before and it was kind of my teacher at New College, my art teacher, and she was just like, why don't you... I was going to apply for, and I was still kind of in that mindset of being a teacher and I almost applied to go become, um, it was like a primary teacher. So doing Leeds St. John's University or something like that, doing a course there. But she was like, why don't you take a year and just explore stuff? And that's kind of what a foundation year does. And even if you're leaving college or even at any stage of your life and you're a bit like, don't know what you want to do. It's just a creative year to explore stuff and you can just basically find out what you want to do in the future, even just have a year of just being creative. So I went there with kind of this fine art skill set, but I was introduced to using Photoshop for the first time properly, which I'd never really done before. Um, working on like tablets and iPads and the, but there's loads more to it, like photography, fashion. You were open to so much stuff, but I kind of honed my skills in illustration at the end of the year. And then from the work that I did at Bradford, I got this really lucky for me personally, I think getting in at the course at Loughborough, which is really up there as one of the better art courses, but it's kind of overshadowed by the fact that it's the most sporty place <laughs> in the world. You're walking around the campus and... England like, players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's honestly, England it's a normal day. I saw Ellie Simmons all the time. She was always walking around. They always had the England rugby team mm. were there just all the time. And it was so weird. But it was awesome and the course was great, but also I love football and there's like 900 football pitches there. So <laughs> you're never struggling, you're never fighting over some goals, mm. do you know what I mean? There's a lot of heads and bodies. <laughs> when we chatted off air, mate, you said at this point, I don't have three years just to sit around and wait for things to happen. I have to make money. So how did you go about achieving that and turning the hobby into a career? I mean, I've always been quite self-motivated so when i was at new college i was in a band called dirty green Vinyl, <laughs> which was <laughs> sorry i should have laughed that's a great name <laughs> we did all right we did all right but from that that kind of helped because me and the drummer tom tom ely were both quite creative so we made quite a lot of t-shirts and stuff and tom's got a good contact with um he was called andy runs him a print shop in Elland it is he'd also kind of help us out and do t-shirt deals so we got him for a really good price which was really great and then I started using his services and doing my own t-shirts so selling my own t-shirts I went through a real t-shirt phase which was fun and going to creative markets and selling them and stuff like that and it is that kind of point at university where you know that after that is finished you're not sitting around just getting that little bump in student finance which isn't much anyway but you've still got to make your own stuff I've, i had work in bars and stuff but that's not what i wanted to do long term obviously i wanted to be able to make money creatively you were fairly lucky in one sense that you were offered a job in folkestone in kent where you still live now straight out of university however it also meant on the other hand moving away from your roots and starting completely afresh so we'll talk about the difficulties with that later in the pod 
but what did that job offer do for your career and your mental health to be able to go into something straight away and not have that anxiety of the first couple of months or even longer than that thinking what the hell am I going to do I think because that was one of the main worries coming out of university was like because Illustrator is a very interesting one because that course was mixed media so you you had graphic designers illustrators even like advertisers and animators on it when you kind of look into studio work jobs you get an animator in a studio yeah you get a graphic designer in a studio you get advertisers in studio but to have a studio full of illustrators that's quite lucky to find something like that and I was very lucky to come out of university and be offered a job doing that and in a studio with loads of illustrators was awesome it kind of took pressure off me I think because it was a job straight away and it's a good company as well but also when I look back now it's a bit of like would it have been better to explore stuff as well because sometimes you can get thrown in and I kind of always had this mindset with that job as well that it was uh, another kind of university do you Mm. know what I mean I learned so much there it was a really important six years of my life but on the other hand as being a creative is it better to move around place by place and and meet more people and stuff and that that's kind of where I am now with going freelance. Before we talk about the industry issues what effect does drawing itself or designing or illustrating have on your mental health? I think it can be up and down because it can be kind of freeing sometimes you can go into different worlds do you know what I mean it's sometimes it's quite an escape. What I think is really sad and I think I'm guilty of it as well is that it's kind of the world that we live in now it's kind of this everyone is after validation and you do a bit of work and you put it on Instagram or Twitter and you don't get X amount of comments or likes. Do you know what I mean? That can then bring you down if that makes sense. Luckily now with the work that I do, because I'm not solely an illustrator, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a scribe artist. So I take information. I go to meet big meetings or conferences and take comments and then draw them up on the wall. And that, is really nice because especially when I'm there in person because you lose that over the internet Mm. you know what I mean Freddie there's there's more interaction it's instant people are there watching you do it it's a bit of a performance and at the end of the day I think I'm quite I like being a performer I'm always on karaoke do you know what I mean I love singing and stuff like that so yeah illustration it is difficult at times but also it can really brighten my day as well at the same time When it comes to the issues in the industry you wanted to discuss, Tom, what came up in our conversation off air was the difference between working in a creative office environment and being freelance and independent. So tell me why you wanted to discuss this and the pros and cons of both through a mental health lens. It's a really interesting one, this. Uh, I guess it's kind of why it pushed me to go freelance in the end was it's kind of a culture thing in a studio sometimes and it is complex. So I loved working in a team. I actually think being part of teams is is really important, especially in a creative sense. But teams are really complex, aren't they? You can even link this back to football. If a football team doesn't do very well or is on a bit of a bad run, it's not as clear cut as them playing bad. It could be down to a bit of a, a bit of a disbalance in the team, in the squad. Someone's fallen out with someone. There's issues within internally. Do you know what I mean? Things like that. They don't like the direction the manager's taking them in. And sometimes it just gets to a point where things don't gel and you've got to finally balance those teams and certain people can come and go and it's a transition, isn't it? And I think in every industry it happens, I think, not just creatively. I do think when you get 
certain ideas and stuff like that it can come out and be difficult and i think the beauty of freelancing now is that i'm not stuck in one team all the time as well and i think that can happen you can get a bit stagnant with some things can't you and you can get comfortable which is another thing and to kind of not be in a in that comfort zone all the time and being pushed into different places different ideas learning different things every day the beauty of what i do now is that it's a cliche but no day is the same it's always a different talk a different conversation i actually learn more now i think with the work that i'm doing which is really fun let's reflect on your journey then mate doing it for the time you have what has it taught you about yourself what has it taught me about myself that i'm a good listener i think because that i need to be able to do that for what i do in my job also believing in myself i think because i think that's one thing that potentially i struggle with and you are looking for that validation, but also just knowing your kind of self-worth that you are good enough to be doing what you're doing. And you wouldn't be where you are if you weren't doing it. But I think going from that jump to freelance is, is now the best decision I've made in the last few years. I've been doing it for six months now and it's it's just been great. I've met so many amazing different clients. I've worked with so many different people. I've had opportunities to go to different places, which is awesome after the pandemic and everything been stuck in a room for two years basically and now being able to get out again is so great i had a bit of a rough month at one point so it's about six months but november was really difficult and i don't think that helped particularly mentally for me and i had some reservations about myself and my decision and i was like why have i done this why have i taken this because it is a risk at the end of the day because it's not that kind of constant it's not a set amount every month coming in like you do with a fixed term contract kind of thing so but getting over that hurdle that that was a it was a really tough month and getting over that big hurdle and now i just really know that i have made the right decision and to stick with it because i think things do come good if you're really passionate and keen to do it it will work out <laughs> We've talked about Tom, the illustrator. Let's go a bit deeper and talk about your own mental health journey, mate. So I ask all my special guests this question first. Walk me through early life, teenage years in Yorkshire, and whether looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? Who's the Tom we meet here? Yeah, so I think I was really lucky growing up. There's not really any big moments that particularly stand out where I'm, I think back and I think that was a tough time in my, especially young childhood. Grew up in Lymphway in Huddersfield, Combe Valley it was it was really nice I, I grew up with my best mate who I'm best man at his wedding coming up in the summer grew up with him for the last oh, 17 18 years or whatever when I moved to Lymphway so I was really lucky in that sense the street that we were on is one of those streets that's just tucked nicely away no one knows where it is weirdly and it's like and then we had a football pitch just down the road it was almost perfect like Maybe if it had a beach next to it, Freddy, then, <laughs> then it would have been a, a spot Can't on. have everything, mate. No, exactly. So it was like really positive upbringing. I guess one thing that kind of sticks out that we discussed in the pre-chat was it, looking back, it shouldn't happen to kids, basically, is what it was. And it was, a, it was at one of these football camps. And I've always loved football. And I think it's like the only sport I really have ever played. I played a bit of tennis, but football has been the only thing that's ever got me interested in. <laughs> And I wasn't very good when I was younger. I wasn't very good, like, when I was little, little. And it was one of these football camps you do after school. And basically, 
the guy just put me to one side whilst it was on and like that was it and like you stand there and watch for the rest of the day you know what i mean which is not good in a kind of self-confidence way for a kid i don't think i got over that for for a while but luckily i joined a team lymphweight which was run by my other mate's dad and i think what was beautiful about that team was the mantra kind of was if you're signed on you're gonna play I don't think we ever got promoted, but we never got relegated. We never went to the bottom division, but we never got promoted. And it was just a really good group that stuck together throughout that childhood as well and improved off each other, which was great. I think I got so much better because I got the opportunity just to play mm. every Saturday. And it was just a really nice, tight-knit group. It was so funny. We'd turn up on a, on a Saturday and Sunday You'd see the other team doing the warm up. The cones are out. Oh, ooh, 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 ooh. One, two, one, two, doing all their fancy warm ups. We turn up and just literally be playing heads and volleys in the goal mouth, and then kick off had started. So yeah, I think that was the savior for my love of football was that I got the chance to play in a team that wasn't all about the ability, but more about making sure everyone was involved. Is that exclusionary aspect of youth football something that we're not really talking about? I mean, kids do it to each other, and it happened to me, but when adults are doing it to kids, that's not really a good example of building resilience, is it? No way. Not at that stage. I think, Freddie, I must have been in year three or so four. So seven or eight. So what's that like? Yeah, yeah. Seven or eight, yeah. And at that stage, no one's brilliant at football in reality, are they? There might be the odd kid who can dribble around everyone, but I think it's got better because I, I used to referee quite a lot of kids' games and I think it has got better in the sense that people do seem to hopefully not take it too much. To tell you who's the worst at it, the parents, are, you go, you're on the sideline, the parents are crazy, crazy for it. And I think they're trying to, from what I've read, they're trying to restructure things. The FA are trying to look into better ways of making sure that everyone gets a chance to play. There's a lot of talk of reducing the numbers so that it's kind of like roll on, roll off, 4v4 at that kind of seven or eight-year-old level. And I just think at that stage, no one should be excluded from having a go at anything. We're going to talk about grief now, because in the years that you were 15 to 19 years old, Tom, you lost three of your grandparents in quick succession. So you lost your granddad, John, first when you were 15, your granddad, Barry, when you were 16, and then your nan in your first year of university. So 18, 19, but probably 18. So if you could, can you tell me about how these three periods of grief affected your mental health? Yeah, it was it was really difficult, that because it was three really key members of the family going in such a short period of time and they were really important to us all did a lot with my grandparents like you spend loads of time at all the houses so it was difficult I weirdly I don't have my memory isn't very good so (laughs) I can't particularly remember too much I remember seeing all of them for the last time which sometimes it's not a nice memory that but I think you try to remember the nice moments as much as you can so always remember me nan and granddad barry's house he always used to sit in the kitchen me nan used to sit in the living room shouting at each other not in an aggressive way but just say what are they up to barry what are you doing what's going on in there and then used to go to france with me granddad john and me granny bridget who's, who's still active up in Huddersfield now but it was free really difficult so it wasn't three years in a row, but each individual year was difficult. I think the big one was when I lost my nan. That was kind of like also 
my granddad had completely gone then as well. Do you know what I mean? Granddad Barry, because they're married for so long and together for ages. So I guess at least with my granny B still about, you still kind of, we always talk about as grandparents as a family, but there's still that part of my granddad that's knocking about as well. Mm. It is difficult. It really is difficult. But I think I was lucky because it's got such a big family that is really supportive and kind of grieved altogether. There was one really nice moment you told me about when your granddad John died and you and your mum and your sister sat together and reminisced about him. So do you think that helped you become closer as a family as well, even after this you know, horrific period of grief that you all went through individually and collectively because all three of them probably affected different sides of your family? I think so. I think it's massive when you lose a family member that you make sure you're with your family in those moments. Everyone grieves in different ways, don't they, as well? And as long as that support's there, maybe some people don't particularly need that and some people like their own space to get away. But in my case, I think I needed those people around me to kind of hold me up in those moments. And I wouldn't have reacted the way I did to it if I didn't have those people in my life at that time Mm. just to be there with me. And that was a really nice moment. I was sat on this flat roof that just was out of my bedroom climbed out the window and sat there that night and just reminisced which is always nice I think just to remember people Mm. as well and if all of them were listening to this podcast Tom what do you think you'd say to each of them what do you think they'd say to you would someone be shouting at what the other one's doing even wherever they are (laughs) I think it'd be quite a laugh they were all very fun they're all very fun they all had their little quirks which was fun as well so be nice just to speak to them about have stuff a like that again yeah. and have a little <laughs> laugh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think they'd be really happy with the way I've gone as well. I think my granddad John would be pleased that I went to university, and then me nan and granddad would be very happy that I've gone creative, stuck with my creative stuff. Because I think there's so many creative people on that side of my family, which is crazy, and even more creative than me. And my cousin is an amazing poet she does like these kids poems which is awesome so yeah I think he'd be really pleased that like most of the family that creative side of our family are really pushing their creative flair I want to talk now about that move to Folkestone in Kent through a mental health lens your dad always says to you it was something that he would never be able to do himself so how big a step out of your comfort zone was it and what were those initial days and weeks like when you got there yeah it was really interesting at the time so I'd been on holiday and I'd come back from holiday. I actually went to the, which when Town played Aston Villa, Freddie, that first away game in the promotion season. So I went to that and then the day after I was going down on the train to Folkestone from Huddersfield. Got to Folkestone. Oh, it was a beautiful sunny day. Went straight off the train. I stayed in this hostel for a few nights and then went down to the seafront. It was such a big step, but I think because the fact that I moved away from home to go to university as well it wasn't too bad to start with I, I wasn't too worried you were still pretty independent um, so it didn't feel as much of a big yeah, yeah exactly but then it got a little bit difficult I don't know I think I think I'm quite a friend orientated person I need people around me so going somewhere that I didn't really know anyone was difficult and I did have some quite difficult it was in the, like in kind of the classic in bed, just with your own thoughts kind of stuff. It wasn't very mm. nice. It was at points like that where I thought, what am I doing down here? Should I go back to Huddersfield? Can I even handle this? I don't know anyone. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have anything to do kind of thing. And I guess the first big thing for me was a workmate called Alex. 
who's also an amazing illustrator, he'd kind of just started setting up this Friday night football club it was. I got invited along to and that's still running now and I just think that kind of group, so close with that group now with the people that started that with. Now there's like 60 people <laughs> in this group which is insane <laughs> but yeah it really helped me and I met some really good people through sport. I think football's really lucky with football I am because it's such an easy way into meeting for men I think it's such an easy way into meeting other men you've got something in common already and then from that I've kind of met people through other things so now it's not just football we go out and have a drink or go out and have a meal go to the beach together stuff like that so really lucky in that sense isolation and loneliness are two of the biggest factors i think in shaving off years of our life expectancy mate were those the hardest factors you had to deal with yeah 100 percent. it's kind of that and i think in my mind it's like when i was on my own and i, I just had myself to talk to kind of thing i think i'm maybe potentially it's like quite a what is the word I'm looking for here? But thinking of the worst in things and... Catastrophizing. Almost, yeah. I'm like, what's the point in stuff? What's the point in this? Mm. That kind of period in my life, that's the only time I've really had anything like mm. that. Where I've Yeah, nihilistic catastrophizing like, is not great, mate, for sure. Yeah. And it's like, because especially with the way the world is and stuff like that, and with things, how things are, it's like, you just think the worst. Mm. And, and it is like, what is the point of stuff? What am I doing here? And then having that group then it might be a bit of an overstatement but it kind of made me want to live in Folkestone anyway it started to make me want to live in Folkestone I love Folkestone and I love everything about it now but at that moment in time when I first come down yeah that was difficult mm. you said to me off air sometimes you, you now go through you know the normal dips of life when it comes to your mental health but you're not too sure what triggers the negative dips it could be work related but it might not be in the past you've said that you've sometimes projected those dips onto other people so have you gotten better at managing them now oh maybe not the last one so that last one was definitely due to work and like i said in that november where it didn't go very well and my partner's great she puts up with it really well which she shouldn't have to and that was a bad month and i think that was down to that but it'd be interesting to see if my work keeps going okay now for the next few months whether another one comes along it is interesting and i've never really thought about it before freddie until you've given me these questions and where it comes from so it is it's great to kind of think about this because there is spells and i think kerry my partner she'd say the same thing there's there's moments throughout the time we've been together where i've just not been myself and just been a bit off it been a bit down and that was before i went freelance so it, i don't know if it is work related or it's some sort of cyclical thing seasonal i mean could be the winter normally it is the winter that kind of dark where in the summer's great down here because it's almost like being on really lucky it's almost like being on holiday 24 7 especially when the weather's nice so it is difficult um managing it i think in the past it's kind of been like right this is it i'm gonna be like this for a week it's just gonna have to happen i don't think there's really much way out of it that i can think of when i think of when it's happened in the mm. past you mentioned your partner there and the one positive thing that you wanted to talk about before we reflect is the impact that she's had on you and your dog on your mental health so how do they help you manage the lows 
and the highs and stay grounded. So I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing like from this freelance sense without Kerry because I think she'd push me to kind of do the best I can do in my professional life, which has also helped my mental life as well, having someone there to support you. And 100% for me, dogs are the absolute best thing in the world. (laughs) And all I have to do is look at that dog for five minutes in a day if I'm feeling a bit down i'll go and find her give her a stroke and i'll feel 10 times better do you know what i mean because she's just an awesome little creature there's reason dogs are therapy (laughs) dogs mate for sure yeah exactly let's reflect on your journey now then mate so a what has it taught you about yourself and b if you could go back and talk to the tom who had just been told to set out that football session by that idiotic adult or the tom who was grieving for three of his grandparents or the tom who was homesick with no friends in a new town in kent and surrounded by southerners what would you say to him knowing what you do now i'd say uh, southerners are all right number one don't <laughs> you gotta put on me at games if you see me mate so that's one thing yeah i think for me personally it's kind of just it's uh, another cliche coming out, but it's just enjoy life, basically. Enjoy what you're doing. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't do something is a thing as well. Like if you've got belief in yourself that you can do something or you want to have a go at something new, you should do it. And you're only a one side, Freddie. So it's like do what you can, what you want to do when you can. And then looking back at that grief period, it's like just be close with your family and if they say do you want to come around for a cup of tea or do you want to spend the day together do it because i think at those moments in time uh, family are the most important thing just to get through it we've come to our final topic of conversation tom and it's one i try and have with all of my special guests it is a general natter and chat about our mental health so firstly how would you say your mental health is at the moment mate at this moment in time, Fred, I think it's the best it has been for a long time. Really. Excellent, mate. Everything's just perfect at the moment. What age do you think you were when you became self-aware of your mental health and you realised that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind and a product of your mental health? Yeah, so I think actually quite a young age. So I think one thing with me is I've got this kind of self-doubt in my mind. And like we mentioned, when things are going bad in the world, it kind of gets on top of me, I think. And the big questions come into my head. And I remember one night when I was really young, just not being able to sleep. My mum had to come in and be like, what's, what's up with you? And I was like, I just can't stop thinking about... <laughs> it was like, it was the deep one, the life. And oh, everyone dies, that kind of thing, which is something that you have got to get over at some point. So, And I do think that's always in the back of my head, popping up, things like that. But you don't want to push that away because it, it is going on and things are happening but kind of move the positive things in front of that just to make things a little bit better can you tell me about the first conversation you had with someone about your mental health so who was it with what did you say and did it feel like on one hand a big moment or a big burden or weight of lift off your shoulders or on the other did it feel like something quite easy insignificant and normal to do so that what i just touched on then was kind of the first one with my mum which was quite good because it was I vaguely remember it because it was very young, but um, it was one of those kind of breakthrough moments I think every human has. And then just talks with my mate Jack have been really important, even if we don't know that we're talking about as mental health, if that Mm. makes sense. We're still there talking to each other and it just helps. I think we must at least 
speak to each other once a week on the phone at the moment because he still lives up in Huddersfield and I'm obviously down in Folkestone. But even just those chats are awesome. And without realising it, it's sometimes we are venting or Good plug, telling mate. each Good other plug. how we're doing. <laughs> Cheers for that. Didn't even ask you to say that one. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Written down here, Freddie. Been thinking of that one all week. <laughs> nice one, mate. What triggers do you have then, mate, in life that affect your mental health? So it could be things people might say to you. It could be a sound, a sensation, being in a particular social environment. Or have you not figured all of them out yet? Yeah, I definitely don't think I've figured all of them out yet. I do think my work is quite a big one in the sense of if I'm not enjoying my work or it's not going well, can get on top of me quite a lot. And then, as we mentioned throughout it, just the world, the world, (laughs) things that happen in it's so difficult to live now, isn't it? Because you know everything, you know everything's going on. I mean, you want to be informed, but it's so hard to detach from anything these days because everyone is on their phones, on social media, etc. So it's such a hard time to live, Mm. I think. On the other hand then, what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better? Which ones have worked and maybe which ones that you've tried but haven't? So dogs, obviously, I think 100% work, (laughs) even just going for a walk, even just going out, because sometimes Edie goes into work with Kerry, if I just go out for a walk, someone's walking a dog and just to see a dog, I will advise do not go up to a dog and stroke it, just let them walk by because some dogs might bite you or something. (laughs) But yeah, just looking at dogs. And then so for me, it's football, but I think any sort of community group is such a good thing to be a part of. I think as a man as well, especially, because so I'm, I'm part of a, now set up an 11-a-side team, so we play on a Sunday, and I couldn't be part of a, a better group of lads that just really, it's just fallen into place so nicely, so supportive of each other. Everyone's just on the same wavelength. We do a lot of stuff, starting to do a lot of stuff for charity as well now, so it's really good to be, part of a group that thinks the same as well and have got each other's back so that's that's my number one for me having a good group that you can rely on what's the best book or as i call it mental health bible you've read for your mental health now it can be mental health related but it doesn't exclusively have to be so this is a good question so i don't don't particularly think i've read anything that is mental health related freddie but something that helps me personally i always like to have a look at now and again just if i'm kind of a bit lost or don't know what i'm doing and it's not even my book i might have actually bought (laughs) i think i bought it kerry for christmas once but one book that i like to always go have a look at is it's this book it's called cine maps right and it's an illustrated book but it's maps of different movies so it's like for example jaws so you've got Amity Island drawn out and then there's like coloured dots everywhere and it's like each character and it basically shows you the whole film throughout the map if that makes sense so it follows these dots to where all the characters end up blah 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 and I think out of all the books that we've got and I'm not much of a reader as well and it's not really reading it's looking at pictures (laughs) but that is one that I kind of go to if I want to just sit down take some time out and just indulge in something. What about then 
podcast, film, play, any piece of content then apart from books. Right. TV show. Um, TV show. Do you know what I've really liked? And I, I don't I don't struggle with the same things that like the character does in this, but I have enjoyed the Ted Lasso okay. stuff that Jason Sudeikis has done recently. So he's got anxiety in that, like really bad anxiety. And it's kind of going through his struggles and how he needs to overcome that, which is really good in the sense of just kind of getting that perspective of stuff. Also, I've listened to The Reset by Sam Delaney a couple of times, which um, is a really good men's mental health podcast, I think. And as a final question, mate, what more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds, all walks of life feel comfortable, feel safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if they want to do it? Yeah, I think you've just got to give people the option. Like you said, it's if people want to do it, people need the support there. That's in all walks of life, so that's in the workplace. So I think where you work needs to have the systems in place. The health service needs to have the systems in place. We're living in a time now, it's good that these things are starting to become more norm and it's not really pushed aside or put in the cupboard kind of thing just need the option to speak to people and for me personally speaking to your friends and then being open to listen is really important and on that note tom bradshaw or as your previous twitter name tom Bradshaw, thanks for coming on the just checking in podcast and talking to me mate cheers freddie pleasure mate thank you for having me on well that's all we've got time for on this episode of the just checking in pod Big thanks to Tom for being my special guest for this episode's pod and for letting me check in with him. I'll put some links to where you can follow Tom on social media and check out all of his work on his website in the show notes. I'll sign us off by saying thank you to everyone who's tuned in. If you like what you've heard, give it a share on social media. Please, guys, can you please give me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts? I haven't had one in absolutely ages, so it would really help me out, and it really shows more people the great work we're doing here at Vent and the podcast. So if you're feeling generous, please do that if you can. If you're feeling even more generous, you can support us through our Patreon. That's at www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk, or you can make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, guys, it is always okay to vent. Thank you.